This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by New Relic and Epsigon. This week, I chat with Tavi Rahamagi about achieving operational excellence. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 75. I'm Jeremy Daly, and this is Serverless Chats. Today, I'm chatting with Tavi Rehamagi. Hey, Tavi, thanks for joining me. Hey, thank you, Jeremy. Nice to be here. So you are the CEO and co-founder at Dashboard. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your background and what Dashboard does? Sure. Um, Yeah, so I've been a developer myself for pretty much my entire life. I started uh, coding when I was 14, and... uh, you know, since then, uh, before starting Dashboard, I was um, an employee in two different startups. And uh, the last one, I was uh, working a lot on serverless. Uh, that was in 2016-17, which kind of led uh, me and some of the team at Dashboard to to fo- found this company called Dashboard. And uh, we're an operations platform for a serverless workloads. Uh, we help companies who are building on serverless to achieve excellence uh, with their infrastructures. Awesome. All right, so we have done a number of shows about observability because observability in serverless seems to be that third-party offshoot um, that mm-hmm. has been missing, right? Like there's a lot of things that AWS just didn't really tackle um, initially with with a lot of the uh, with a lot of the observability stuff. Now they've added quite a few things, but again, it's nowhere near uh, as easy to use as some of these third-party tools like the dashboard are. Um, so there are obviously constant enhancements. They just launched, um, and we can get into this in a little bit more detail, but they just launched not too long ago, um, this idea of the extensions API for Lambda, which allows you know tools like the dashboard or whatever to, to have more control over the life cycle. If, they, if you wanted to have control over the life cycle of the Lambda function, being able to get metrics and, and telemetry data and things like that. Um, but, but there's still... I think there's still a bunch of stuff missing, and I think you would agree with me on this, that, that there's more we have to do in order to understand and observe our serverless applications. So I'd love to get your input because I think you know Dashboard has sort of a different outlook or I guess a different roadmap um, for how you want to address the observability problems, and it's super interesting. So why don't we start there? What, what's missing, in your opinion, with observability and serverless? Sure. So I think first off, like observability is like one thing we we do, but like when it comes to operating a serverless infrastructure that has, you know, we're talking about high load, like at scale environments. There's a lot going on there that we we try to help uh, companies with. And as an engineering team, if you're like really building something that has, you know, like hundreds or thousands of functions, for example, and a lot of different cloud resources. Uh, then you know the one thing that's really different, difficult, obviously, is monitoring data and like getting an overview of the activity going on across those resources and across your infrastructure. But there's also like how do you detect failures and how do you get notified quickly and how do you respond to incidents and solve them. Um, there's also like you know keeping up with things like security and cloud posture, uh, following best practices, optimizing for performance and costs. So. Like the monitoring is kind of one part of 
mm-hmm. of the puzzle. And like having been in this role where we were building a pretty substantial serverless infrastructure, there's a lot going on there. And like a lot of those things um, as a team, you would have to build yourself and kind of to figure out yourself and to construct strategies around how to improve. Um, so that's really what we're trying to do for uh, for our organization. So we're trying to kind of build an abstraction level for operational practices pretty much. Right. So I love that because it, it's, it's a more sort of holistic approach, I guess, to building a serverless. So building and managing a serverless application as opposed to just um, you know, sort of being responsible for, uh, I guess, the monitoring aspect of it. Because again, mm-hmm. operational-wise, uh, and this is something I, I forget who I was talking uh, about this too, but essentially, where it's like serverless or monitoring and observability in serverless is great when you get an alert that says something went wrong, but it's also really good and comforting to know that something went right, right? So, like, to know that that you know events are flowing through the system and that. Uh, you know, the SQSQs are processing correctly and knowing that those things are working correctly uh, and give you that level of confidence. So um, so I think that's really cool. So from from the dashboard perspective, and again, I, I want to keep this a little bit more general, right? We don't want to just, it's not all about the dashboard, but I really do love this perspective that you have. Um, so what is like, what is the vision um, in terms of like, you know, being able to manage not just the monitoring piece of it, but also the operational piece and implementing those best practices? Like, how do you, how do you look forward or how do you plan a product uh, that, that does that? Yep. So when we kind of started working on Dashboard, obviously it was like not, you know, we didn't come up with this vision uh, in the first iteration. At first we were um, just, you know, building a tool to monitor Lambda functions pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. What that gave us early on was like hundreds of people or companies who were actually, you know, struggling with this. And like, you know, after all of those conversations, um, I think we kind of constructed this, hypothesis around what this platform should look like for for like those teams that we were like were the early adopters and so what dashboard is today and what we're building it to be is this platform that's um, you can look at it in three different pillars uh, and I can go into those pillars um, if it makes sense so the yeah, first yeah, one so the first pillar that we have is a data centralization pillar. So what we do is uh, we connect to your AWS account uh, without any code instrumentation. Uh, we don't use Lambda extensions or layers or kind of instrument the code at all. Uh, instead, what we do is we discover the entire cloud infrastructure that you have and start ingesting all different types of monitoring data for those resources. Uh, so that includes things like uh, log data, moni- uh, metric data, uh, tracing data, configuration data, and really everything that the system is putting out externally. And from that external data, we're trying to understand the state of the infrastructure and to make that data um, available to the engineering teams uh, to be able to search and query and to interrogate that data in all different ways. Um, so basically, the first thing, the first offering is uh, to get everything in one place, to break down the silos between logs and metrics and traces, and to be able to look at services and uh, activity across different uh, services and different resources. Um, so that's kind of the first thing we do. 
Yeah. So, well, let's talk about that for a second. So the, the idea of instrumentation. So this was something right from the beginning with Lambda that you really couldn't do, right? I mean, you, you can't install an agent somewhere that just listens to all the activity that happens with uh, a Lambda function. Now, we got layers, um, we got custom runtimes. Um, now we have extensions API. So there's different ways that within a Lambda function, you could add some type of instrumentation. Um, even just wrapping, you know, wrapping the entire function in another function um, was one of the strategies that was used. I know some companies would read off of your, um, you read off of your CloudWatch uh, logs. And of course, just recently, we've got the ability now to attach multiple listeners um, to your, uh, you know, to your CloudWatch log. So there's all these things that are evolving. Um, but you don't have the ability to instrument all of the other things that are part of that ecosystem. So your SQSQs and your event, you know, EventBridge and DynamoDB, like there are logs that are there, but like that's that's the thing where just adding some instrumentation to the Lambda function itself, you know, that's a very small part, I think, of your overall serverless application, right? Yeah. So like how, how do you make sense of all of that log data and kind of connect all of it together? Yep. So like, you know, really early on, what we two things we kind of discovered was that the first thing is that uh, Lambda is such a small part of the infrastructure and kind of what really makes up for most of your infrastructure are, you know, things like SQSQ, databases, uh, API gateways. So that's, you know, there's a large surface area there that's actually as important as functions. Um, the other kind of fundamental realization was that functions are more simple then you know you would have code in your containers or something like that. There's a like a singular thing that any one function is doing usually if you design it like uh, according to the best practices. So the complexity is simple enough that it doesn't need code level instrumentation most of the time, and we didn't feel the pull of the market um, towards like you know providing customers with like really low level data. Um, so kind of. That's why we took this approach and uh, how to kind of, um, yeah, for us, like how we provide value for, for DynamoDB table monitoring, for example, or API gateways is like, uh, you know, first of all, alert coverage uh, to all of the resources. So if, you know, if your API gateway is timing out or if it's having like failures or there's an increase in anything, then that's automatically discovered and kind of continuously checked for. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, like really what we're trying to do is to bring the mean time to resolution across any one resource uh, down to as small a time as we can. So, right. And yeah. so if, you, if, you're not, if you're not doing instrumentation within the Lambda functions themselves, so you're not capturing, like you said, low-level metrics, um, just mm -hmm. the data that pours out of Lambda, I mean, obviously you've got CloudWatch metrics and things like that that are really helpful, that'll give you failure rates and you know, invocation rates and, and concurrency and things like that. Um, but the log data itself sometimes has valuable information in it. But if you've ever looked, and I'm sure you have, looked at the log data that comes out of a Lambda function, I mean... It just it's a lot of junk, right? It's a lot of stuff that's just sort of useless. Um, and if you think about log shipping, um, you know, uh, log log shipping solutions that just take those CloudWatch logs and send them all to some other system, whether that's uh, you know Elasticsearch or something like that. That is a lot of data that you're storing. That at least in my opinion is useless, right? Like there's things you don't need to know. So how how do you as a I mean I guess you know obviously I think your tool does this, but 
extract value from the log files because it seems to me like there's just a lot of junk in there that you don't need and you certainly don't need to be saving. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, that's another topic that we spend a lot of time thinking on. Um, so the thing with managed service logs is that they are high in volumes and low in density of value. Uh, like right. for example, one API gateway request makes around like 20, 19 or 20 log lines, and most of them are completely useless if, like, if it's a successful invocation. And like, see, honestly, the same with lambdas as well. There's like a lot of noise. Um, so, what, like, in in our case, what we do is we apply pre-built filters on top of the log streams, so that if there's, you know, a code exception, if there's a timeout, there's any type of like service-specific failure, then we have a filter for that, and that we automatically detect and kind of you know, aggregate to, to see how it happens over time and kind of manage that as a failure scenario uh, for like a lot of the kind of, you know, not so important logs, we kind of store them away some somewhere in cold storage. We don't uh, keep it in the log analytics part of our platform where it's warm and it's expensive to, to retain. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that, you know, the important, you know, one of the important things is getting the cost down from processing the sheer amount of log data. Uh, the other part is equipping the engineering teams with the right filters and kind of right knowledge to catch um, those like known and unknown failures that can happen. So it takes a lot of time and effort to actually put together for each engineering team, like what would possibly go wrong in my logs and what should I be monitoring for? Um, so that's our approach. Hi everyone, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Epsigon. Epsigon enables teams to instantly simplify, visualize, and understand what's happening with their complex microservice architectures. With their comprehensive, lightweight auto instrumentation, users are able to eliminate the gaps in data and manual work associated with other APM solutions, providing significant reductions in issue detection, troubleshooting, and resolution times. Epsigon aggregates, unifies, analyzes, and correlates data from all the third-party tools you love, delivering a single pane of glass for understanding serverless, containers, Kubernetes, and more. Engineers now know when something is wrong and can immediately trace issues to root cause before they affect production. Increase developer efficiency and reduce application downtime with Epsigon. And as a special for Serverless Chats listeners, if you try out Epsigon and connect your first trace today, they'll hook you up with one of their awesome t-shirts. Check it out at epsigon.com slash serverless chats. So then speaking about monitoring, that's another one of these pillars that you've mentioned in the past is the idea of actually alerting. Like, so, I mean, a good monitoring solution is going to have alerts. So what, but, but again, you take a little bit of a different approach, I think, to how you alert. Uh, yeah. So like, I think when we really started to acquire customers, it was after we did alerting. So at first dashboard was just a tool that you could kind of roam around in data and look at different uh, different things but when we started sending emails when there is a timeout or something then that tripled the usage like overnight pretty much um, so yeah you kind of have to um, send meaningful alar alarms and that starts like 70 percent of all the use cases in our platform just when somebody gets a notification uh, what we provide for our users is this coverage of whenever something goes wrong across your infrastructure that you should know about. 
uh, we let you know. So we cover all of the API gateway uh, failures or if the latency increases for API endpoints or if there's a delay in the queue, uh, we manage that kind of um, alert, alert setting and alert handling. Um, so yeah, I think that the situation is that if you have hundreds of resources, each of those resources has like five or six different potential uh, failure scenarios that can happen. So we try to put that overhead. Yeah, well, and I think yeah. that's a I think that's an important piece of this too is to say um, like you can set up uh, a CloudWatch alarm that says when my you know my SQS queue has more than a thousand uh, messages in flight or whatever that is that I want to send myself some sort of alert. Um, and then you've got the ability to set uh, like send another alert when the threshold drops to something or whatever. But I I guess my question around this is. As a, even if you know what's happening, like even if you are a serverless architect and you've been doing this for several years, uh, like I think I could look at something like me personally and say, yeah, I know what alarms I probably want on this particular resource. But what I certainly don't want to have to do is set that up on thousands of resources and do that. So automating those alerts is one, I think, cool benefit. And I know a lot of services do this as well. But just bringing your experience to understand what the patterns are and knowing when something is a problem, right? So again, like, is there like anomaly detection or how do you, how do you kind of set that up where you know, uh, or you kind of, you, you kind of automatically set up these alerts for these different resources based off of your experience with, with what the right pattern for failure looks like, I guess. Um, yep. Yeah. So like, for a lot of those complex alarms, we're looking at historical data as well and see seeing if that fits the pattern. So if it, you know if it, the changes basically over time is is also a trigger condition for us. Um, kind of the way we look at this, like setting alarms, is that some things could be more critical than others. So we look at like API endpoints that have like error rates or high latency more over something that's perhaps more um, on the kind of uh, downstream, uh, like we, we look at those kind of user facing things more critically. Uh, we look at something that causes a high delay or kind of affects the user experience more. Uh, like we treat that as a more critical event than for example, something that's like, you know, just kind of a little bit slow or, um, abandoned or not being used. So yeah, we kind of try to prioritize as well. Yeah, no, I think that's super important because again, I know it's relatively easy to set an alarm on something, but understanding like what, because I mean, again, things change over time too. So I could very easily set an alarm that says when my SQS queue goes over, you know, whatever, 500 messages, um, then I should be looking at that or I should send myself some sort of alarm. But if that is slowly increasing over time and historically I'm getting more traffic, so now my SQS queue is you know, backed up a little bit more and it's, it's common for it to do that. Um, having a system that can sort of adapt and understand, I think is, uh, is crazy important. But um, anyways, so the other thing though about, you know, and I, I think I sort of mentioned this before is about understanding patterns and, and knowing, um, you know, sort of what's the best way maybe to implement an alarm. Be, beyond just alarms, there's just best practices out there, right? And AWS has a very good resource. The the uh, it, it's the um, well architected framework, um, and specifically for serverless, there's the serverless lens. So 
I love this resource. I suggest everybody go and read this resource if you're building a serverless application so you know um, you know what to do, what not to do. There's a tool that's that, that they have that actually allows you to track you know how compliant you are or, or whether you're following these things. But it's a manual review process. It's like a matter of answering questions. Um, so again, what's what's the way that in the future we can sort of ensure that these best practices are, are being followed um, without having to have a human go and keep looking at these things? So in dashboard, um, not to kind of do much product placement, but uh, when we discovered like all the types of data that we have, um, like if you have all kind of basically all of the monitoring data uh, and you have alerts set up in your platform and kind of um, realize that there's this opportunity to actually run a lot of analysis on top of that. And there's this kind of a whole book or like framework around what the serverless application should look like and kind of you know, what are the best practices around security, around operational excellence. And we kind of, you know, discovered that actually like a lot of this, we could find out uh, using the data that we already have and kind of built this system that continuously surfaces and kind of pushes the user towards uh, the best practices. Uh, so yeah, today uh, we have a collection of rules that we continuously apply and check for, and then kind of get back to you with this list of, you know, hey, your like um, your API endpoints are not uh, encrypted, or you're not using the right encryption in your databases, or you have something that's uh, unused or abandoned or not tagged and like a lot of those things we can surface and kind of uh, push the user towards. And uh, yeah, we're trying to automate um, and equip teams with the best ways of uh, following the best practices of the industry. So that's what we're, uh, what we're building and kind of uh, having quite a lot of success recently as well. Yeah, no, I think that's really cool. Cause I mean, that's one of those things where it is, it's so hard. I mean, if you think about static analysis of code, you know, and you can catch some things with that, you could look at configurations and you might be able to say, oh, the security, you know, you've, you've got a star permission here or something like that. But until the code is actually running and data is flowing through it and you're seeing what that, you know, what happens there, um, you know, that's, I, I think it's where like the rubber hits the road there and you can kind of see, um, you know, how that stuff works. So that, that is, uh, that's fascinating. Now, I do have a question though, because I know, um, I mean, best practices in serverless are really hard. And I know that AWS has their serverless lens for the, the well-architected framework um, and they make really good suggestions, but there's always a time, you know, at least for me, I, I do it quite a bit, is you have to break the rules, right? Sometimes to make something new happen. So how, how, is, a, how is your system gonna deal with, with sort of breaking those rules when it needs to? Like that's the constant challenge is to keep the alarms adequate and like not like when a user looks at this and says like hey i do understand why this is here but it doesn't apply at all and i think you know when we first started alarms were going off like all over the place <laughs> to be honest <laughs> uh, over time kind of we've like removed some of the more kind of the ones that are like optional um but yeah it's a it's not easy um i think that uh, the other thing that we can play around with is the critical level. Like, how critical is something? Like, if you're, right. you know, like really exposed somewhere, um, then you should have a high priority alert. If it's like 
you're not you know you, you're not tagging your resources perhaps that that's not as important and uh yeah, awesome. yeah but all right yeah yeah i just right, want to say that we're going to get to the kind of perfect 100 percent uh with those insights but yeah yeah Hi everyone, I wanted to take a minute to talk about New Relic. I know, when it comes to things like observability and tracing, you're probably thinking I should talk about Datadog, Prometheus, or even OpenTelemetry. And a few months ago, I would have totally agreed with you. But New Relic did something a little out there. They literally reworked everything. They've actually been listening when people talk about blind spots, being stuck with a dozen different tools, or getting hit with hidden costs. So first, they went open source, making it so that you can actually instrument whatever you need. Then they made it so that you can monitor your whole entire stack in one place, including your serverless workloads. You can use telemetry data from any source for ridiculously cheap, and there's just one UI and all the tools you need. Plus, they completely changed their pricing to a consumption-based model so that you can easily predict your bill. Now, I love this pricing model because it scales as my cloud application scales, just like with serverless. And best of all, there's a perpetual free tier with one user and 100 gigabytes per month, totally free. You can try it and make sure it works for you before it costs you anything. So if you want observability made simple, New Relic is definitely worth another look. Check out their new platform at newrelic.com. I really do like that approach. And um, and again, there's a lot of observability companies um, out there. There's a lot of log shipping companies, monitoring companies, all these different things um, around serverless. And um, and they all do a really great job, I mean, it, for what they're doing. But I do really like this approach where you're saying like, you know, let's let's take a step back and solve the observability problem, solve the monitoring problem, but also solve, solve sort of that operational quality and operational excellence um, uh, problem. I think that's a that's an interesting approach. So good luck with that because I, I know it's not it's not going to be easy. Um, like you said, yeah. like a, you're sort of dialing that in to, to get it right. But um, all right, so let's talk about just I, I guess monitoring your cloud um, and and your operations in general because this is something where we don't always go deep into this when we are talking about observability. Um, but I guess a, a question that kind of comes up is now that we're doing serverless and now that we're you know we're using um, you know managed services for a bunch of different things what is it that we're actually monitoring for now like what are those important metrics because if you think about it, like I don't care about CPU anymore or you know memory usage like my DynamoDB tables don't tell me how much CPU or memory they're using right I only know like how many read units or write units I use and as long as it's it's the latency is where I need it to be um, those those seem to be the metrics I care about, but those are different across all these different services. So so what are we uh, as an I guess as a monitoring community, if that's the right way to put it, like what are we looking for um, as important metrics? Yeah, so I think there's kind of two answers here. The first one is that serverless is essentially like a layer of, of abstraction. So you know it it abstracts away the underlying compute resources. Uh, so what you know, we recommend our customers to monitor are user-facing things like how fast are the responses from the backend, uh, what's the kind of downtime and quality of the service, like how well are the users actually experiencing um, mm -hmm. the system, and like that's the first layer that we kind of usually recommend them to cover. Um, so like to to have alerts on API gateways, for example, things like that, uh, but. On the other hand, it's like 
you know, what's this microservice costing you, for example, or how can you, you know, make it quicker a bit or, or like those kinds of things. So like really the impact, the business and the kind of user impact is, is what we mainly try to monitor. Yeah, and I think the other challenge is that uh, just making sense of all of that data that the, the system is outputting is like if you have tons of monitoring data, um, then kind of trying to extract the value from that and to identify pieces where you should be really focusing on. So I think yeah, that's kind of the, the challenges and the approach that should be taken. Right. In our opinion, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's interesting too. From a um, uh, just from a, I guess a, a community or an education standpoint, um, that observability companies like Dashboard almost have the ability to help educate people that are using these different services on what the important metrics are, um, and then not only what the important metrics are, but also maybe what the baseline for those metrics. Um, should be, you know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I, I guess the error rate on your API, you'd love to be zero, um, but maybe the latency, for example, like if you know, if you're connecting to a DynamoDB table through a API uh, or API gateway to Lambda to DynamoDB table, like what that, what that average response time should look like and, and things like that um, would certainly be, uh, would certainly be helpful. So, um, then from a, I guess, from a more operational standpoint, I mean, there's a lot of people who equate serverless to no ops, which there clearly is, it's clearly not no ops, right? I mean, you significantly reduce your operations um, and there's many other things your operations teams could do. They could focus more on security, on automation, some of those other things. Um, but what about the overall responsibility of some of this monitoring? So I, again, I like the approach where you don't have to instrument your code, right? So it just kind of happens behind the scenes. But where where does that I guess where does the data come in when it comes to you know whether it's um, optimizing and following those best practices or optimizing for costs or performance or whatever or just monitoring the overall health of the application where does that responsibility fall now right do you still consider like do you consider this to be a developer tool or do you consider it to be um, like an operations tool or somewhere in the middle I think that the trend we've seen in the in the serverless era is that a lot of a lot more responsibility actually falls to the hands of the developers like and I, not just the operations side but also a bit on the kind of business side or it it, it brings developers more closer to the customers in a way mm -hmm. as well because like uh, you know the task is less on building undifferentiated value and more on actually solving the problem for the customer and i think you know, I, I don't know if sadly or, or or if it's a good thing, but a lot of the operational burden also seems to fall on the developers. Like when we really talk to our users or kind of, um, you know, are in customer calls, then we usually see engineering leads or developers, architects, uh, not a lot of operations or like DevOps people, to be honest. Like there are obviously, but I would say it's like 20, 25%. Um, so it's it's more developers, I would say, right. and I think like a lot of what we do is around debugging still and kind of you know um, improving the system in general, like security wise and things like that. And those things are kind of always done by developers. We see right. So, right. so what? So what? Uh, that's a good point about debugging. So 
in order to debug your code in a, you know, again, a cloud distributed environment, um, is that something where you need to, you need to be using one of these tools to do that? Is that what debugging looks like? Um, so yes, but uh, I think like developers can do with with CloudWatch as well. So kind of when we break it down, like there's two two user stories or kind of two ways of using. Uh, first is while you're developing and kind of iterating the application and you know trying to like understand all the bugs and to fix them. Um, then that's something that you need to like iterate quickly and you know do deployments and test it out and. Like, you know, one way to do this is with us, and we do have some things like live tailing and kind of real-time representation of what the activity is looking like, which may be a bit more simple than CloudWatch is. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you can still do a lot of that in CloudWatch, or you can try to develop locally as well. Uh, we see kind of the, the bigger value boost in environments where that's already in production, have a lot of users, a lot of load, then the monitoring part becomes a bigger challenge. And kind of that's where we would position us more, but we still kind of see debugging use cases as well. It's just okay. that you can do a lot with, with CloudWatch as well. Right. All right. So, so then what about what about the monitoring strategy? So you said that, you know, again, you're you see twenty-five percent or so of the people that are jumping on your calls are um are sort of operations people, and then a lot more are the, are the developers. So, from a monitoring standpoint, I mean, tip, you know, typically you'd be monitoring to make sure that the CPU or the CPU and all the servers are running, right? That's how we used to do it, and you might have an ops team that does that. So, what what is the strategy now? Like, so for a, a serverless team that's developing a serverless application, um, you know, maybe there's somebody in operations that's helping with VPCs or something like that, but. What is the monitoring strategy now? Is it is it the developers who should be in there getting those alerts, or is it still you know some hybrid DevOps solution that uh, you're trying to kind of mix and match? I mean, like how how would you suggest a team use one of these observability tools so that they can make sure that their you know that their applications are running smoothly? Yeah, if you're like going into production with your serverless application, or if you're like you know thinking about monitoring in general, what we kind of push users towards is um, you know really kind of set um, like uh, some clear goals on like uh, for the monitoring uh, solutions basically or like you know if you're building a monitoring strategy what are the core things that you should be thinking about and like mm -hmm. in our case or kind of what we see being the most important ones uh, first is the ability to quickly understand if there's a if there's an issue, like to quickly get notified and to reduce the time it takes for anything from like anything happening to your development team knowing about it. Uh, and like there's a lot of things you can do there. You can map out the failure areas where you can have you know, when you, where you have the most risk, and then you mm -hmm. can map out um, the like kind of end-to-end -end ways or like you know monitoring API uh, endpoints, for example, or things that are really like user facing, like map those out and like, you know, set alarms for those. Um, and yet like the first part is really about getting notified as quickly as possible. Um, so the second part that we think is really important with monitoring strategies, uh, having access to the right data at the right time. So if you're discovering that something is not working, uh, you need to have the infrastructure in place to be able to understand why it's not working and to you know to go through all of that data to have that data available and 
to kind of show you where the problem is. Uh, so if you, you know, I think those are the two main things for any monitoring strategy. And, you know, if, if those are clear, then it's easy to make the, the lower level decisions from there, like what types of data you need and, and things like that. Right. Yeah. And I think that's important. Um, like you said something about, you know, sort of understanding where the risks are in your uh, in your infrastructure, because one thing you see certainly with uh, serverless applications is I have not seen very many 100 uh, percent or applications that are 100 percent serverless. Right. You always have some hybrid in there. You're still accessing a, uh, you know, a SQL database or a MySQL database or something like that. Um, so that's, that's, I think something's interesting is like, what do you do to sort of protect, um, you know, protect against like the brittle components? Is this something where you add more alerting and more monitoring to that? Or is it something that, um, you know, it's just, it's just another piece of your infrastructure that you, uh, you treat as just like you would anything else. Yeah. I think it's important to be aware of those, those areas. Like if those exist, like if you have it. SQL database or some downstream service that, you know, can be easily throttled, uh, then, you know, definitely designing around that is important or, you know, that in mind uh, and yeah, treating it as a kind of a specific failure point, uh, paying more attention, I think is, is necessary. And that's what we recommend um, to do as well. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, so I, I guess my last question, just I love to ask, you know, I love to ask people this question, um, you know, the future of serverless, right? And and I this has been asked and answered a million times and everyone seems to have a different answer to it. But, um, you know, just because, again, I like I like how you're thinking about, you know, this approach to it. Uh, you know, are we going to see serverless just sort of dominating um uh, the cloud world, like, is it just going to be the way things are? Or, um, I mean, I, I, well, let me take a step back, ask you this question. What's the future of serverless? What's it going to look like, you know, five years from now? Um, so the way we see it and kind of the future we're building for is uh, the future where developers uh, construct their applications out of like Lego pieces and, uh, you know, uh, doing very little coding <laughs> or uh, only focusing on the, on the differentiated value that their organization uh, brings, and you know, having at their exposure a lot of tools that they can just kind of piece together and use. Uh, and yeah, I think that the gravity uh, in in cloud is definitely that uh, you know, serverless is fa faster to build on. Uh, it the, the usage is based on the or like the pricing is based on the actual usage, and you know, there's it's way more simpler to kind of understand different components as well. So uh, yeah, that's, that's what I hope will happen. And um, yeah, I, I don't think, you know, it won't just be AWS, but it will be this entire kind of you know, Google Cloud, Microsoft Azure, a lot of third-party services will play into it. And there will be a lot of different tools that you can choose from, um, but they'll all be managed and single purpose. Yeah. No, I love that. I, 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 I hope for the same thing. And I, I think you're right. I think the ecosystem will continue to expand, um, you know, and Azure is doing some great things, um, you know, in terms of what they're building out for serverless. So it will be really interesting because having this conversation five years from now could be um, <laughs> could be completely different. But anyways. Um, all right. Well, Tavi, thank you so much for joining me and sharing all this knowledge. And I mean, again, the dashboard 
the, the, the product direction you have there uh, is really interesting. It's a, a really cool approach. I love that idea of, of uh, just trying to make sure that you, you implement those best practices and give people the tools to do that. So um, if people want to find out more about you or, or, or figure out what you're up to and uh, find out more about the dashboard, how do they do that? Sure. So uh, dashboard.io is where you can contact me or um, our team as well. And my Twitter is at uh, Rehemaki. So uh, feel free to reach out and uh, yeah, happy to happy to chat about serverless anytime. Awesome. All right. Well, I will put all that in the show notes. Thanks again, Tavi. Thank you. And that's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Tavi Rahamagi for being my guest this week and to our sponsors, New Relic and Epsigon. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 75. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can connect with me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.